Salutations. I, I like that word. <laughs> okay. As we get started tonight, as you can see uh, by the title on this one, on the first slide here, How to Get Rooted, sort of goes with our theme, right? Well, that's, of course, that's why I intentionally wrote this thing, uh, How to Get Rooted and Grounded in Christ. And tonight, we're going to be talking about um, how to actually get rooted, an important lesson. Um, this is a two-parter. So tonight, I'm going to be going through just the beginning, like the intro of the importance of doing a Bible study. Next week, we're going to do something a little different. Um, we are going to actually do a Bible study together. And I'm going to show you how to do it, a little trick on how to do a Bible study. And that'll be next week. So next week's could very well be one of the most important lessons you may ever hear from me. Um, because many people are never instructed on how to do a Bible study. And, but tonight I want to talk about the importance of it because it is a very important uh, part of our spiritual life. So I want to make sure everybody understands why this is so important. Then next week we will actually do one together. I'm going to show you how to do, actually do a Bible study. So if you're not here next week, um, sorry. But these are being recorded. They will be on the internet um, as they're audio recorded. Um, they always do these with the summer staff. So there's a, a history of these on there. And so you'll, you'll get it that way. So with that, let's take a look at um, this lesson here tonight. And before we begin, I really just want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And tonight I'm using um, God's Word translation. Normally I use the English Standard Version because that's a word-for-word -word translation. God's Word translation is a newer translation, and it's primarily um, a thought-for-thought. Thought. So it's trying to get into what is God actually telling us, not word-for-word, word, but what's the general take on what he's saying. That's why you use a translation like this, and I really like this one. And so we're going to read this tonight. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Every scripture passage is inspired by God. All of them are useful for teaching, pointing out errors, correcting people, and training them for a life that has God's approval. They equip God's servants so that they are completely prepared to do good things. That tells us what the Word of God is for. It tells us what the Word of God is. And now we're going to get into the importance of doing it. So let's open in prayer, and we will jump in this. Father God, we thank you for this time we have here tonight. And I pray, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit will teach us the importance of doing a Bible study. Help us to see this. And in some cases, Lord, maybe even put a good, strong guilt trip on us because it's a hard thing for people to be disciplined enough to do this. So help us because as you've shown me and I hope to show them tonight, Lord, that this is how we spiritually grow. So please help us with this. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. A summer staff leader asked me this question, how does a Christian actually grow spiritually? Good question. How does a Christian grow spiritually? I think most people would probably uh, say that we, we should be growing spiritually. 
And she asked this when I questioned. She asked this because she told me that she'd been a Christian for a number of years now, but she says, actually, I can't see any spiritual growth in my life. So uh, is something wrong? So it was a great question. And I think probably many people who are listening to me right now are probably thinking the same thing. Um, How does a Christian actually grow spiritually? And that is what we're going to try to get into in this lesson and the next, because we need to do this. You see, all Christians would probably say, yeah, I know we should be growing spiritually, but many don't do it. Too many people are just baby Christians. Even though they've been saved for many, many years, maybe even decades, some of them never grow up. They're still infants and toddlers. And put the Bible in front of them, sometimes it's almost like, you know, you should read the Bible, and it's like they almost like start crying, like an infant would. Um, it, it's, it's really sad. Not that doing a Bible study does anything for your salvation. I mean, these people who are baby Christians, they're still born again. But the thing is, they never get to grow to what God had designed for them in their spiritual life. They just remain babies all their life. And no one wants to be a baby. No one wants to be, as an adult, or even a young adult, wants to be classified as a toddler, spiritually in particular. I mean, how terrible is that? But that's the way we often view things um, in, in this day and age of like that. So, to grow spiritually which we don't want to end up being babies. (laughs) So to grow spiritually requires Bible reading. It requires Bible reading. Not just reading the Bible, though, because there is a big difference in reading the Bible and studying the Bible. Next week, I'm going to explain that in detail. But tonight, I just want you to understand this. There Um, I mean, if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, well, I read my Bible, I get my Bible out and I read my Bible, that's great. Congratulations. Awesome. I love that. I love, one of the most inspiring things, even in my old age, is to see young people sitting with their Bibles and, and reading. I love that. And if I love it, how much more God must love that when we sit down and actually read one of his 66 love letters. So, it is an important thing, and it requires to read the Bible. You're not going to grow spiritually without the Word of God. It's just really difficult to try and do this. I pulled up from 2016 a Barnum study showing teens about how, in the ages of 13 to 17, which many of you in this room right now fit into that category, how often, in this survey by Barnum, how often do they actually read their Bibles? Now, I'm not talking about studying their Bibles, just reading their Bibles. And as you can see, it says every day, a person, a teen who reads it every day makes up about 3% of people in the United States. Uh, teens in the United States, 3%. That's really bad. Look at how many people d- never read their Bible on this survey. 37%. That's way over a third of so-called Christians that are not even reading their Bible. Ever. Ever getting it out. Now... <laughs> This does not, as it says here on the top, how often, if ever, do you actually read the Bible, include, not including, not including times when you're in church service or a church event. So this is something outside of the church. But look at that, 37%. Less than one year, 11%. Once or twice a year, probably like holidays, like Easter and Christmas, 8%. Three to four times a year. Just the three to four times a year, once a year, twice a year, and less than once a year, that's another third right there of the total. Then, who reads it once a month? 9%. Once a week? 11. Several times, four times plus a week, 11. But every day, 3%. 
I look at this and I, that really makes me sad. Because, like I say, how are you going to grow spiritually unless you get into the Word? And just reading it is different than studying it. So, this is a very important lesson. If you want to grow spiritually, and I hope if you're born again Christian, you want to grow spiritually, this is something that's really important. That's why I say this could be, you know, this one and next week in particular might be some of the most important lessons you ever hear from me. But just reading the Bible does not make you grow. Just don't think, okay, if I sit down and read my Bible, if I read, you know, like Psalm 119 today, wow, that's a big psalm. That's going to take me a lot of time. God's going to give me bonus points. It doesn't work like that. Just reading it doesn't make you grow. You have to really study it. I know many people will say, well, I read the Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. You've heard me probably say this many times. That's great. Congratulations. You read the Bible all the way through. But do you study it? Because just reading it straight through doesn't give you enough time if you're trying to get so many chapters, like four or five chapters done a day, to read it all the way through from um, in one year. You're, you're going through it so fast, you're just missing things so quickly, and you're flying over the material without actually studying it. I mean, it's commendable you read the Bible. I don't, don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying, oh, don't read the Bible all the way through. If you want to do that, if you feel the Holy Spirit's telling you to read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover in a year, fantastic, do it. Um, I've done it once in my life, and it was when it was required in college in a Bible survey class. We had to do it. First semester, we had to read the Old Testament. Second semester, we had to read the New Testament. Voila, I got it done. And I'll tell you, honestly, I got so little out of doing that because I was flying through it so fast, basically trying to get the job done instead of trying to grow spiritually. So I don't think this is one of the best ways of, of growing. Matter of fact, you don't grow very much by doing it that way. Studying it, you do. You see, when we become a Christian, God puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, that's a promise from God, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. As it says, we become a new creation. We are metamorphosized into a new creation. The Greek word metamorpho is actually the Greek word used here, talking about a new creation. And the way this is achieved is because God's Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you. So if the Spirit of God now, you have the Spirit of God inside of you, and you're sitting here reading these love letters from God, the Spirit of God, and as I've said this many times in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says the Spirit of God is what teaches us. And so the Spirit of God takes what you're reading when you study it and he, he convicts you of things that you need to change. He teaches you things that you didn't know before. And he, he answers questions of what's going on in your life. And it feeds your soul. Who doesn't want that? Now, sometimes you come across people, critics of the Bible, non-Christians in particular, who will say, well, I I've tried reading your Bible, I don't get anything out of it. I've come across many people like that in my career, both when I was a teacher in school, people, some of my students would say, oh, I've read like the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark and stuff like that, I didn't get anything out of it. Or I've read some of Paul's letters, didn't get anything out of it. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because as a non-Christian, they do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them doing the teaching. That's why many times non-Christians will pa read a passage and have no idea what they're even reading. They don't get it. So non-Christians are not often able to even understand because they don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them to instruct them as to what they're reading. This is why we had, um, 
we have so many people complaining about, well, the Bible's just not for me. It doesn't do anything. Well, if you're not a Christian, yeah. The Holy Spirit's not inside of you explaining it. It makes perfect sense. But sometimes, on, a, on occasion, there will be somebody who will pick up a Bible who's a non-Christian and will actually sit down, read it, and voila, the Spirit convicts them, the Spirit speaks to them, and they get it, and they become Christian. Gideon's ministries, the Gideon people who put the Bibles in different hotel rooms and stuff like they've made a tremendous ministry of this. Putting Bibles in hotel rooms and motel rooms and stuff, people lonely sit down and pick up the Bible. There are so many fantastic stories that Gideons tell about how people have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ simply because they picked up a Bible. I have a dear friend, the way he came to Christ was he was traveling, he was very depressed, his wife was back home, but life was just not going well, his marriage was on the rocks, and so he, uh, in his traveling, he had to stop at this motel, he's sitting at this motel, um, turned off the television, it just wasn't doing anything, he was sitting so depressed, and he actually opens up a drawer, and here was a Gideon Bible, and he picked the thing out, and he started reading it. And the Spirit of God started teaching him, and speaking to him, and like, wow, he soon found himself on his knees at the foot of the bed in his motel room, praying to God for salvation, which God then granted him. So sometimes that does happen. What I'm talking about, though, is that many times people who are non-Christians, critics of the Bible, can read the Bible, read the same passage that we Christians read. We understand it. They don't. And we understand it simply because the Holy Spirit's inside of us. They don't have that. They don't get it. So, that's what this is all talking about. And um, we're talking about how to get into a growth spiritually in our lives. You see, Jesus came, and when he came and gave us this new law, the New Testament, he, he didn't come to give us a new religion. Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with a holy God. Many of you have often heard the, the cliche almost at this point, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. That is true. And Jesus came to develop this, not religion, this relationship. Help us to get back to the Father. And this goes back into the Old Testament. Because when the Israelites in the book of Exodus go to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, uh, same place, two names. When they go there and God gives them the Ten Commandments and stuff, it was a marriage ceremony. And God married the Hebrew people. If you've ever been to an Orthodox Jewish wedding it is all set up upon this. They had a, camp, a canopy over the top, which represents the Holy Spirit um, up above. They have flames that people carry, candles and stuff around in the thing, representing the fire on the top of the mountain. There's so many things that are bound in this because God married the Hebrew people. We also, as we are born-again Christians, become the bride of Christ. We are married to God. We're in a relationship. And you need to look at this as a marriage. Now, not many of you in here listening to my voice right now are married. I have been. And next month it'll be 39 years. Right, Denise? There, I got... I don't know if they're applauding that it's 39 years or that I remember how many years it is. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> but, <laughs> see, it makes, it makes it easy when you get married in a year that ends in a zero. We got married in 1980, so it's really easy. It's 2019. It's really easy to do the math that way. So I advise you get married in a year that ends in a zero. It's really easy to count. <laughs> yeah, that's a reason to go get married. <laughs> Next year, we're all getting married. <laughs> 
But it is a marriage relationship. I mean, marriage is a very deep, committed relationship. You want to have a healthy marriage, there's things you got to do for that. You want to have an unhealthy marriage, it's pretty easy to do. Marriage takes work, it does. Well, so does your relationship with God. If you're going to grow spiritually, it requires discipline. Now, God married the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, but if you've ever read the Old Testament, how many times does the, the, do the Hebrew people turn away from God and go after the idols? Frequently. I mean, it's happening like in every book, it seems like. This is always going on. Well, there's, this is talked about in, uh, in the Old Testament, and God makes reference, marital references to this. Let me show you. Uh, how God's bride committed adultery with other idols and stuff is what it is, and how he responds to this and what he says about it. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 32, you are an adulterous wife who prefers strangers to her husband. This is God speaking about his people. His people that he married at Mount Sinai who have now deserted him for idols. They've committed adultery. Here's another one in Ezekiel 23, 37 through 38. They have committed adultery. Their hands are covered with blood. They commit adultery with their idols. They have sacrificed the children they gave birth to, for me, as burnt offerings to idols. They have also done this to me. They have polluted my holy places when they do these things and dishonor the days to worship me. Here's another one. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Judah saw I sent unfaithful Israel away because of her adultery and that I gave Israel her divorce papers. Stop here for a second. This is talking about the 10 northern tribes that are lost today, the 10 lost tribes. They committed adultery. God kept calling them back with prophets. They ignored them. They put prophets to death. They killed them. God issued them divorce papers. The 10 northern tribes lost to antiquity at this point. God knows where they are. But they're lost. So now he's telling Judah, you guys are acting the same way. Continuing. But treacherous Judah, her sister, wasn't afraid. She also acted like a prostitute. Because she wasn't concerned about acting like a prostitute, she polluted the land and committed adultery with standing stones and wood pillars. Idols. There we go. So we see it in Jeremiah. And there's more. Here's Jeremiah again, chapter 3, verse 14. Come back, you rebellious people, declares the Lord. I'm your husband. Does it get any plainer about a marriage than that? You see, that's how this was set up. And there's more verses. There's quite a few. Matter of fact, many chapters and stuff throughout the Old Testament, God is referring to his spouse, calling her an adulterous uh, prostitute, etc., etc., because she has left. I mean, the book of Hosea sort of symbolizes a lot of this. Now, that's in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. In the New Covenant, Jesus came to redeem his bride. He came to redeem mankind. All who are born again now are the true bride of Christ. And we know this because even in Revelation, it talks about this being the bride. Revelations 21.9, one of the seven angels who had, been seven, who had seven bowls full of last the last seven plagues, came to me and said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The lamb, of course, is Christ. The bride is us. So we see these things. So marriage is very, very symbolic throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, of how we are in a relationship with God. If you're a born-again Christian, you're married to God. Now, how to have a healthy marriage. 
how to have a healthy marriage. No one that I know of goes, and I do a, quite a few marriage ceremonies, no one goes into a marriage ceremony uh, hoping it's going to fail. Um, you just don't do that. But it happens, even with Christians, it does happen. Even with ministers, it happens. And I've talked with um, Dr. R uh, Rick Marks, who comes up here, does these marriage retreats that Fort hosts every year. And I've talked with him exclusively on some things like this, because I'm always curious about what's going on and about these relationships that we call marriage, particularly as I do marriage ceremonies, I, I marry people. Um, but what he has told me, that most marriages fail today because of a lack of communication between the spouses. They just stop talking to each other. It's usually the first red flag that comes up. Now, I'm giving you notes here, just, not just your spiritual life, but also for your, your marital life when you get that special spouse that you get. And so one of the first things you want to ever avoid is not talking to each other. Because once you start there, it's like a stone rolling down a hill. It picks up momentum. So you got to make sure the communication stays open. It's so important. Now, let's put this on a spiritual level. For us to speak to our spouse, which is God, we must talk to him. That's what we commonly call prayer. That's a future lesson coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm going to talk to you about that importance in your spiritual life and in your relationship with God also, because prayer is also important for your spiritual growth. So we'll talk about that one later, but that's part of it. But there's more to it. How, does, how God talks and communicates with us is through the reading of the 66 love letters that he gave us, the Word of God, the Bible. So to have a healthy, a happy, growing marriage, you need to let God speak to you. And how he does it is through the 66 love letters. That's what we need to get into. This is God speaking to us. You're going to have a close relationship. You've got to listen to what he's saying. It's so important. Next, we need to communicate and talk with God daily. If we only listen to him for an hour on a Sunday morning, <laughs> like going to church, and then never listen to him again during the week, that relationship is in peril. Can you imagine if my wife and I, since we're the only married couple in here right now, if I was to only talk for her on one, for one hour on a Sunday morning, and that's it, the rest of the week I just ignore her, what kind of relationship would we have? Not very good. It would be, in, it'd be a sinking marriage. That does not work. That is not a happy marriage. That is not a healthy marriage. You have to be talking. I don't want to embarrass her, but sometimes when I do travel and I go speaking at places, and she's working at Dairy Queen, which she does. She works at Dairy Queen part-time in, the, in uh, the fall, winter, and spring. Sometimes I know she's not home. I can't call her at work because that's, you know, I don't want to mess up her relationship with her employers. So sometimes I just call our answering machine because she's the voice on the answering machine, and I will just hear her voice. I have a craving to hear her voice. And sometimes it drives her nuts. We'll be sitting in the car driving as we're driving long distances, and I have to say, you know, just little questions that she can't stand, really. Like, what are you thinking right now? <laughs> and she's like, it's not that I'm really that much looking for an answer. I just want to talk. I want to hear her voice. So maybe I'm weird. All the girls are sitting here like, ah. 
All the guys are, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Take notes. <laughs> but that's, that's how it should be with God. We should have a hunger to hear that voice. Do you have that? Do you really crave to hear your spouse's voice? You're in a dating relationship. Some of you are in here are probably in a dating relationship. Now, here at Fort, if you're, if you're um, the person you're dating is back home and you, you're working throughout the day, you can't talk to them, don't you have like a hunger to hear just their, hear their voice? Not, not even so much to listen to what they're saying in deep detail. Like you're just having this craving to hear their voice. Don't you feel that? Those of you who are sitting here, okay, there's like three people must be dating because I only got three nods going on right now. But <laughs> that's how it is. And, you know, I, I remember uh, before we got married, because she lived in Milwaukee, we were living in the Bahamas, we were next-door neighbors, we worked at the same school, but then we went home to get married, and she went to Milwaukee, where she lived, I went to Illinois, Southside Chicago, where I lived, and we were apart for about a month, and it was torture, because she was not there, I've always been used to having her. And it needed her to hear her voice at times. This is how it's supposed to be with God. Do you have a craving to hear God? Ask God to give you that craving. Because God's sure wanting that. That's the last thing those Satan wants you to do. Don't listen to Satan on this. And this takes discipline, it does. So how often do you listen to God speak to you? Just a rhetorical question. How often do you actually listen to God speak to you? How often are you in the Word? And how healthy is your relationship based on how often you listen to God. Do you have a healthy relationship? If you do, you grow spiritually. If you don't, you don't grow spiritually. It's that simple of an equation. It's really easy. When you're in love, you want to listen to the voice of the person you love as much as possible. I don't know anybody who is dating and like get a phone call from the person they're dating or if they're engaged and, oh, oh it's, it's your, sp uh, uh, it's your you know, fiance and stuff like that. Oh, I don't want to talk to her. I don't, I don't feel like talking to her today. Who does that? What are you, an idiot? Why don't you go marry a cactus? <laughs> get a lot of comfort there. Gee. But there are people who like that in a relationship with God. Well, I don't want to talk to God right now. Might be because we've done something wrong. That's when God's standing there with his arms out saying, hey, come on. Remember the prodigal son story? Don't think, don't let Satan tell you, oh, you did something wrong. God doesn't want you around right now. That's Satan's lie. That's when God is standing here, come on, come to me. You know the prodigal son story is the only place in Scripture you read about God running? God ran to the son? That's the only time. There's a beautiful song written by Benny Hester back in the 1980s called God Ran. It's one of the most beautiful um, ballads about the, the Good Samaritan, or the, the prodigal son story that's just amazing. Uh, you ever get a chance to pull that up? It's a great one. Benny Hester and God Ran, great song. Now, are you in love with God? That's what this is coming down to. Are you really in love with God? You're supposed to be in this marriage relationship. Are you in love with him? Are you in a healthy marriage to him? Those are two different things. I know some people who love their wives but never talk to their wives. Their marriage is on the rocks, though they still love their wife. So these are two different questions. Or are you just occasionally dating God and you're really not interested in having 
a relationship with him. You're really not interested that much what he says. Or maybe this is it. Uh, you're just using God. God, give me eternal life. I'll be happy. And I really don't want you for anything else. I think there's a lot of people that are like that, which is really sad. Who likes to be used? I'm sure God does not like to be used. So to grow spiritually in a relationship with God, you must, and I emphasize must, be reading and studying his love letters. That's how you grow spiritually. I'm going to show you a scripture at the end on exactly that. But let me put this to you in two different perspectives. Um, here as I'm getting close to the end. Two different perspectives of how this, this uh, studying the Word of God is so important. Take a tree. A tree out in a field, maybe by a stream or something like that. To grow spiritually, you need nutrition. Just like a tree planted out in the wilderness there, utilizes the soil in the ground and the moisture and stuff from it and consumes the nutrients from it daily, every day. It's taking in nutrients. And why it needs that is to perform photosynthesis. It needs to perform cell reproduction. It needs cellular respiration. We need to be like that. We need to feed our souls from the springs of living water. Jesus claimed to be the living water. He is the living water. The woman at the well, he said to her, I can give you eternal living water that will spring forth for, uh, inside of you forever. He's talking spiritually, feeding. And we need to be like that. Trees otherwise, if they don't do that, they don't live very long. Or let's look at a different, different aspect. This is my daughter, Heather, and my granddaughter, Cora. But this is another illustration. As a baby is born, it quickly hungers for its mother's milk. This food source alone nourishes and nurtures the child. The child then grows healthy and puts on weight. We need to do the same thing with the Word of God. It helps us to grow in our salvation. It doesn't give us salvation, but it helps us to grow in our salvation, to become mature Christians, not the baby Christians that we are so commonly seeing today many times, even in our churches. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, God actually speaks on this. Desire God's pure word as newborn babies desire milk. Then you will grow in your salvation. Right here is the verse saying that you grow by studying the Word of God. I'm not making this up. There it is. So it's as plain as day coming straight from God himself on this. You know what's really funny? Few people in the United States willingly will miss a meal. Here at Fort, we serve you at least three times a day. Many people hardly ever will miss one of those meals. And if they do, you can usually tell because they're really cranky. Are they not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people get cranky like that if we miss a meal. I wonder, though, how many people are walking around daily actually starving spiritually because they have not spent any time at all, all day long, haven't had one spiritual meal. Maybe they're only eating once a week. My gosh, what must be going on with them? And what happens if you don't eat right? 
And we all know the, the answer to that. You learn this in school, in elementary school. If you don't eat right, you start having consequences. You have to pay for that. Do you know that God's word often refers to followers of God as having a feast? We, God often talks about eating. The sacrifices that they did, it's described in the book of Leviticus, often referred, certain, certain celebrations, certain sacrifices required eating. You'd sit down with a priest and actually have a meal, sort of a Thanksgiving meal. And many times God is, is referring to himself as food for us. Jesus himself said, I'm the bread of life. I'm living water. Um, look what he says here in John 35 and verse 51 of chapter 6. Jesus told them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never become hungry, and whoever believes in me will never become thirsty. Stop there. That was verse 35. What's it saying? This is talking spiritually, not physically, spiritually. If you feed on Jesus, you listen to his words, you're taking it in, what he is telling you, what's written in, in the 66 love letters, you don't become spiritually hungry, and you don't become spiritually thirsty. Continuing, verse 51, I am the living bread that came from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread I will give to him brings life to the world is my flesh. There's so many verses like this that are found in Scripture. God often refers to this whole thing about spiritual growth as dealing with food and eating and nourishing ourselves from his word. So folks, if you want to grow spiritually, you need spiritual food. You have to feed your soul. Without it, you're starving and you're weak. I wonder how many people listening to me right now are fasting all day long today. Are you fasting right now? Like, I haven't had a meal yet today. I haven't had a spiritual meal in a couple of days. I wonder how many are. And skipping meals leads to weakness and illness. This is what we got to be careful of. Our physical bodies get like this. Our spiritual souls get like this also. And weak Christians are prone to spiritual illness. Also, that's when Satan is able to attack you and have victories because you're too weak to be able to fight him off and use the armor of God. You can become so weak, you just can't even pick up the sword of the Spirit. You can't pick up the shield of faith because you're just too weak to do it. You've got to get nourished spiritually. I love how Ron Robertson, when he was on staff here uh, before he retired, used to go around, particularly on a Saturday morning, um, after the brunch. He would many times just go up to people. And out of the blue, he'd just catch you on one of the paths around here, and he would just say, so, what'd you read in the Bible today? I have been walking with him. We're in a conversation. All of a sudden, he stops our conversation, turns to the person passing us up, and he just, hold on, Michael, looks to the person and says, so, what did you read in the Bible today? What did God show you? And I'll tell you, sometimes it's quite obvious the person is lying. I mean, there are sometimes you just, you know, particularly with, I don't know, it's about um, trying to lie about reading the Bible, but boy, it's really obvious. Well, um, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, wow, I, I was reading so many things, it's hard for me to keep track of what, what it all, all was. And, stuff. I mean, <laughs> and then they would go on, and Ron and I was like, he didn't read. <laughs> like, you're fooling us? But... Yeah, maybe I, I've always said, maybe I should start picking up Ron's thing on that. Of course, then people will be hiding from me probably because <laughs> I don't want to get asked that question. But. So how hungry are you, folks? How hungry are you today? Have you had a good meal today? Have you had some good spiritual nutrition? 
a good balanced meal? Or are you starving sitting here right now listening to me? Next week, I'm going to show you specifically what I showed the leaders before the summer started. I was asked by Amber to show them how to do a Bible study, and I challenged all of the leaders during each week to do a Bible study with their staff. Now, I don't know if they've been doing it, but now you all know what I have challenged them with. And if they haven't, maybe you want to go up to them sometime and say, hey, um, Michael said that he challenged you. How come we haven't done that yet? Maybe a lot of fire. Or maybe you're in one that, yes, we've been doing this weekly. That's fantastic, awesome, I love it. But next week, I'm going to show you how you actually do a very simple Bible study that will open up Scripture to you and let the Holy Spirit teach you in ways that will just amaze you. And we'll get that next week. So let me close in prayer here. Father God, we come before you again, and we thank you for your word. All these passages, Lord, dealing with food, it's, it's so interesting to me. Old Testament, New Testament. How many times you refer in our spiritual growth about feeding and eating and feasting and starving. So, Lord, please help us not to listen to Satan's lies, to actually get into Bible study, to actually sit down and read the Word of God, to get something out of it, expecting to learn something new each time. And if we are born-again Christians, your Spirit, I know, will teach us. That's a promise you gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So, Lord, fulfill the promise. But that does require us to sit down and take the time to do it. Help us to find the time. Even though the summer is busy, Lord, help us not to neglect having a spiritual meal every single day to keep us spiritually strong. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.